Well, hello again, Pastor Brown from Akron Alliance Fellowship. Uh, just looking forward to just spending this next hour with you and hopeful that it will be in time of encouragement, uplifting, and just an area for all of us to be challenged. Uh, we're living in some challenging days, but God knows exactly what he's doing, and we're trusting him for the outcome, and that uh, we know that he does all things well, and that we're in his hands, and he's going to keep us. Amen? I want to just <clears throat> thank you again for giving us this time. We know you could be listening somewhere else. We know that you could be somewhere else, and I also want to... Uh, Welcome you at Akron Alliance Fellowship. If you're ever in the area or if you live close by and you're not attending church anywhere, uh, you're more than welcome to come on in and visit, become a part, whatever the Lord will lead. But we want you to know that you always are welcome at Akron Alliance Fellowship. Um, we serve a wonderful, wonderful God. And our ministry is about teaching, 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 teaching. And uh, there's areas we have to improve on and we're looking to improve. And we're hoping to expand more about midsummer to do a little bit more. But uh, it's just one day at a time in this time of fluctuation where we don't know to go left or right. But we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. And keep following him. So uh, do, if you're in the area, do stop in and just give us a good hello, a good morning. Uh, just let us know that uh, we are in some way touching your life. And uh, allow us to pray for you and continue to do that. Well, today we're going to be looking at Stephen. And I hope we can see Stephen as we look in chapter 6, 7, and just the first couple of verses in chapter 8, that we can really see Stephen, that we can see this man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he reflects his, his relationship with Christ in his everyday life. And if you're saying you are a born-again Christian, your time with Jesus should reflect itself in the life of other people. Other people should be able to see it and to recognize that Jesus Christ is doing a work in your life. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. And I pray that uh, somehow we can get that across today, that Jesus Christ's life, in a sense, through Stephen, is a continuation of his work. And that Stephen is allowing Christ to do that in his life. That he might continue to reach people with this gospel, with this powerful message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's pray and then we're going to jump into this. And I pray again. That it would be something that will encourage you, enlighten you, and uh, allow you to measure yourself. We should not measure ourselves by ourselves, but we have a yardstick in which we measure ourselves, this Word of God. 
and that we can somehow see areas in our life where we need to improve, grow, stretch, reach for, that Christ might truly be glorified in us and through us. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your forgiveness, your kindness. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for removing the blinders from our eyes that we might see thee clearly. Would you give us ears to truly hear thee? And would you speak to our hearts? And may your Holy Spirit do only what he's able to do. And that is to convict us in the areas, Lord, that he knows that we need to grow in. And he knows what we need to let go of and to press forward. So, Lord, minister to us as we look into your word and as we look at the life of Stephen. And may he be an example to us. May he encourage our hearts. And, Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen means a crown. And I don't know if Stephen knew that he was going to wear the crown of the first martyr of this new faith called Christianity. But he's our first martyr, in a sense, in Christianity. But he's also the first to really show us what it is for Christians to stand against worldly views or the tradition of the world. And Stephen does that. He stands against those who oppose him. And let me share this very quickly. Any of us who really seek to live godly will be opposed. Because oftentimes people think you carry it too far. You're asking too much. You're demanding too much. No, if we live according to what Scripture says, and I'm not here to enforce someone else to live that way, but I will challenge you to live that way according to what the Word says. And I know at times people think uh, we're somewhat being judgmental. No, not judgmental, just scriptural. And you're going to hear that even with Stephen. And I just want to share with you that are Christians, when you witness to others, make sure that you use the word. Um, I'm not saying every word you that comes out of your mouth has to be scripture, no. But make sure that what you're talking about is based on scripture. And use scripture when it is appropriate to do so, to really affirm what you're saying. And we're going to see that even with Stephen. And need to understand something else that takes place here. As the church grows, ministry grows because of the needs of the people that are different than others. And therefore, we see different ministry come about within the church because of the different needs of the people who are attending the church. And sometimes we can't meet all those needs, but we should do our very best as the Holy Spirit leads us in meeting those needs. And that's what takes place here 
in chapter 6. As, as we start off, the whole argument is about a group of people who may not have been there at the beginning part because when the church first started, it was basically the Jews there around Jerusalem and Judea area. And now these Hellenistic Jews or these Grecian Jews have come into play and their people are not being treated the same as the Hebrew Jews. And they felt they were getting shortchanged. And is one of the first problems we have within the church. And the apostles came and basically spoke and said, choose seven men. And the seven men that were chosen were basically Hellenistic or Greek Jews of the free men and so forth. Those were ones who may have had uh, been born in some time. Uh, Babylon, the captivity is, is way in the past, but yet uh, their forefathers may have been in captivity at some point. Uh, they are the ones who are called the Hellenistic Jews because they're not really just around Jerusalem there. Uh, these may have been people from what we find on Pentecost that had traveled in, and uh, yet they become part of the church. And we have to recognize that people are going to come from all walks of life, from all type of backgrounds that come into the church. And we have to adapt ourselves make some changes that we are treating everyone fairly because under the cross, we're all the same. We're all the same. And they had to deal with this problem. And their picking of these seven men to wait on the tables, or I like to put it in this frame, to serve the people, uh, to meet the daily needs of the people. And that set the apostles free to study and to pray and prepare themselves in the word. Now, because they were preparing themselves in the word, we're going to see something else about Stephen. Stephen was not short when it came to knowing scripture. Now, he was not an apostle. He was not a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a lawyer. Uh, he was not a scribe. As far as we know, uh, Stephen was just an everyday Joe. But yet, loved the Lord. And had hid scripture in his heart that when it was the appropriate time, he was able to share it. And he's going to do that in chapter 7. But as we pick up in this chapter 6, Again, I want to pick up in verse 5. And he says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. Stephen's name pops up first. Uh, by chance, I don't know, or by God interacting with this group, being part of this group, here's this Stephen. But it says something about all these men. But let me finish that verse in chapter 5 this proposal pleased 
the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It says also Philip, Procornius, and he goes on through naming these other men. But he says also, they were what? Also filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. Not just Stephen. It was the qualification of these men that people could really see their faith in action and recognize that it was more than just their own personal doing, but it was something within them that had empowered them to do. And here's Stephen and these men, and, and one writer puts it this way, full of grace and power. And that those two things always go together. They're just the opposite of one coin. You cannot have this whole thing of grace without power. Because as you extend grace, this unmerited favor, this thing unto people, it has to be demonstrated also in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing with Stephen, he's there. And these men are there. But as we get down into verse 8, Stephen is somewhat separated from these other men. And the Holy Spirit does that in his writing here and sharing with us. And again, Stephen, that name means crown. And here is Stephen. He's going to be something like the crown of the gospel at this point. Uh, he is the one who is going to be the first martyr. He's the one who's going to be first challenged, in a sense, of the world or other religions challenging his faith and his belief. Yes, Peter on Pentecost spoke out to thousands of people who had come in who were Jewish. But now this thing has taken hold just a little bit firmer than what it was before, and Stephen's going to be challenged. And why Stephen? Why not one of the apostles that were there in the area, one of the church leaders that was in the area? But somehow the Holy Spirit has chosen Stephen there. And I believe that he does that to show us the average Christian should be prepared to be a witness. That the average Christian should have the word of God hid in their heart and not be ashamed of the gospel and ready to explain it. And to be able to give a detailed roadmap to Jesus Christ through the scripture. And it says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. There's that grace and power. Stephen, full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now, he's just an average Joe. He's not an apostle. doesn't tell us that he's somebody special. He is somebody who is in love with Jesus Christ. He is somebody who really cares about the gospel and the people. He's somebody who really wants to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's doing these things. And he's doing them because I think what is set up in the first part, that he is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And because he's full of faith and the Holy Spirit, there is that grace and there is that power that is needed then 
to be able to minister to people and for people to recognize that this man is going beyond the norms of regular human beings or people doing on behalf of others. And he says he did miraculous signs. He doesn't tell us what those signs were. It doesn't tell us if he was healing the lame, healing the blind. He, he, it doesn't tell us, but he had some great deeds that people were taking notice of. Are you doing some great deeds that people are taking note of? Are you being overly kind to people? Are you being one who is a great encourager to people? Are you being someone who is always smiling and sharing with people? Are you someone who's always uplifting people and have a kind word for them? Uh, we live in a very depressed world. And people are sad and people are mean and people today just don't know how, as my wife says oftentimes, laugh sometimes. Now she loves laughter. She laughs all the time and she enjoys. Even when something's just not right, she'll make it look right and, and, and it's, it's good. And, uh, I guess I'm just a little bit on the other side because I guess I will tell you it's not right or whatever and it's not good or whatever. But the whole process is that She's one who will never criticize. I call mine sometimes corrective criticism. And, uh, but with her is not to criticize, but is to always encourage and to build up. And we have this. And here's Stephen. He is one who does miraculous signs among the people. And the people took note of it. Catch that in verse 8 here. That what Stephen was doing, whatever those deeds were, whatever that work was, whatever that ministry was, people took note of it. And opposition arose. Now, when you work for the Lord and you do for God and you demonstrate your faith and you speak about the Lord and you let people know, Hey, there's a better life, that God really does have a plan for your life, that God loves you supremely. It's not about what you've done. God loves you in spite of what you've done. God loves you, and God desires to forgive every one of us and to help us get where he wants us to be. He just doesn't tell us to get there. He helps us get there. Because he knows we need the help. He knows we can't do it on our own. And it says, opposition arose. Why would opposition arise over somebody doing good? Why would opposition come towards Stephen who's doing things that really help people? Uh, as ministering to people. And yet, it says, opposition came forth in verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the free men, as it was called, Jews from Cyrenia and Alexandria, 
the Greeks. Well, as the province of Cilicia in Asia, the men began to argue with Stephen. Now, now catch verse 10 because it's so important to understand something. When you have faith and you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will give you what you have need of when it's time to speak. When it's your time to speak, not you showing off, not 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 you clowning around, not you quoting 10,000 verses, but God the Holy Spirit somehow intercedes and he speaks and he guides you through it. Go over to Matthew chapter 10. And, and I want you to hear what the scripture says here, because we need to rely on this. Uh, we need to read. We need to have our devotion time. We need to have our study time. Yes, we need to go through all that. But we need to understand this also, that it is the Holy Spirit who is going to speak through us. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. Oh, boy, let me get there. These eyes are getting worse and even more. Sometimes I have to use a magnifying glass to find my way around. And he says, one page over here. He says, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given Catch that. You will be given what to say. When you allow yourself to be used of the Holy Spirit and to be put into positions because of what you're doing in faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit and people oppose you, it says don't worry about them because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit. But the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Boy, that's a powerful verse. That the Spirit of God would speak through us who have faith, who are full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit, doing the work that he desires us to do. And this is Stephen's situation. Again, he's not an apostle. He's not somebody that we know of great character or whatever. He's the average Joe. And here he is full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, speaking scriptures because the Holy Spirit is using him. Boy, That's exciting within itself. And the thing is, he says, boy, they begin to oppress him. Why? Because of the good work that he was doing. And the whole process boils down. Sometimes the only way people can stand against you is to argue against you. They're, They're not willing to and I, and I want to use this very clear, make this plain as possible, is that there's a big difference between 
discussing something and arguing about something. In the discussion, we both are going to be sharing. And we're both going to be sharing what we believe to be right. But there's no anger behind it. There's no malice behind it. There's no trying to keep you from having your opinion about it. But that we are sharing because we're passing on, in a sense, knowledge to each other. Because what one person believes over here and what another person believes here, both have been, in a sense, instructed and taught. The issue is, who's been doing the teaching? And now those two things come into close areas and they're able to be discussed between two average Joes or two average people and share their belief. Now there's something strange that's going to take place. If the Holy Spirit is the person that Scripture declares him to be, the third person of the Trinity, he's God. And he has a work to do. And that work is called convicting the hearts of the unbeliever. The believer is already believing and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in him, giving him now the words to say to that one who is an unbeliever who doesn't follow Jesus Christ but follows something else. And now it becomes the work of the Holy Spirit to convict this unbeliever of what truth really is. I'm not out to convince anyone about what is truth. I am to speak truth and let the Holy Spirit do the convicting and helping that person to understand what is truth? Our job is to be the witness of truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the person of truth. And so when this whole process, it says they could not stand against Stephen. Stephen is there sharing, but they could not stand against him at all. So it, it says in verse 10, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. His wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Don't take that lightly. It was not so much Stephen doing the speaking. Stephen was the one being seen. But the Holy Spirit is the one doing the speaking and the wisdom to be able to stand against those who are opposing you and to say it precisely in a manner that allows them to hear or those who are standing by to hear and be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand, whenever you desire to live godly, opposition is going to be there. And, and I want you to know that. 
Go over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. He says, let me get there and get these eyes. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life. Now, I want you to circle a word, wants to live. Everybody doesn't want to live a godly life. Everybody wants to be saved. Nobody wants to go to hell, but nobody wants to live a godly life. But if you choose to live a godly life, you purposely and intentionally are out to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. You will suffer persecution by friends, by family members, by those that you work with. There's going to be something that comes against you because they want to somehow squash that. And the whole process, you're the one who have to desire that the way in which you're going to live in obedience to Jesus Christ is going to be demonstrated outwardly. How do you demonstrate it? I demonstrate it by not saying vulgar things about women. I demonstrate it by not talking about their body in the workplace or how women are dressed or what is being seen. I demonstrate it by not using the foul language that uh, we can speak without using certain foul adjectives and so forth to describe things. I don't have to joke in the manner in which the world jokes. And I'm not saying we can't laugh, but I don't have to have dirty jokes. I I don't have to tear somebody else's work down at the workplace to get ahead because I understand I'm promoted by God. If God wants me to have something, he will promote me. He will open the door. He will lead me in that direction. I don't have to tear somebody else's work down or try to make them look bad in front of supervision or whatever. No. Uh, I'm going to live a godly life. And I'm going to help as many people as, as I can. And try to encourage them to live a life that is different maybe than what they're living. And even if they're Christians, they help them live on a higher plane. And sometimes we forget that. That we have an obligation as Christians to keep lifting up our brothers. And that's why scripture tells us that we ought to think more about my brother than I think about myself. I should have his interests at heart more than I have my own. And that's a challenge to see how are you really living? Are you really living a godly life? And the question is, do you want to live a godly life? And if you want to live that godly life, nobody can take it away from you. Stephen would not allow them to rob him from living a godly life and doing the work that he was doing in helping people. And ministering to people. Whatever that was. But they opposed him. 
and they were out to stop him. And Stephen was not going to stop. Now, again, I will say to you, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be Dr. So-so. You don't have to be apostle this. You don't have to be elder this. You don't have to be Sunday school this. You don't have to be that. All you have to be is a born-again Christian who want the Holy Spirit to use you. To use you. That's all. Nothing special about you. You don't need all the education. Oh, I'm all for education. But the greatest teacher known to man, as far as I'm concerned, is the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you, and he will speak, and he will use you to glorify Jesus Christ. And it says, <clears throat> again, he goes on a little bit further, because when they, when they can't stop you with an argument, then there's charges that sometimes want to come up. And they're called false witnesses. For So in that chapter 6, 11 through 15, you got these false witnesses that are going to then come forth and say, this is what Stephen said. This is what Stephen said. This is what Stephen said. And sometimes you'll have people talk about, this is what you said. And uh, it's always good to have some type of way of being able to recall what you said. Because people are going to say, this is what you said. And they came. So they stirred up the people in verse 12, the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place the temple, and against the law. Uh, Stephen was not speaking against the law or the temple. Now, he knew that the temple could not give him salvation. He knew that the temple could not make him right. He knew redemption was only in one person, Jesus Christ. But he was not tearing down the temple. Those were false witnesses that were bringing charges against him. And people will bring false witnesses in to speak about your life. And sometimes it may be true, but it's false at that time. You may have one time been an adulterer. You may have one time been a drug addict. You may have been one time been someone who was selling drugs. You may have been a alcoholic at one time. But the present time, you are not. That's way, way in your past. That's the old life. And you're living in a new life. And that is not part of your life today. And yet people will bring those things up. But what they don't put with it is this, the time in which they saw you doing it. Oh, yes, Pastor Brown used to drink, used to drink scotch. But that was over 40 years ago, 50 years ago now. And if somebody say, hey, yes, I was in a bar with Pastor Brown. 
Well, don't make it seem like it was just two days ago. Let people know that this took place maybe 55 years ago, 60 years ago, while I was in the military maybe. And the whole process though, when people want to tear you down, they will find any way to do it. And we as Christians, God warns us about gossip. And we should not be so quickly to hear gossip or hearsay. And we should be very quickly that everything is established by two or three witnesses. And not something that just, boy, happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But did this happen recently? And here's Stephen, and he's taken to the Sanhedrin. And it says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That should have been enough to scare you. That should have been enough to say, "Uh uh-uh, this man. No, we're not going to deal with this individual. Because they saw something, God allowed them to see this man in a different light by simply saying his face was like that of an angel. But anyhow, they went on with this case. They they went on with this trial, in a sense, or this hearing. So when we get into chapter 7, we hear the men saying to Stephen, Are these things true? Then the high priest in verse 1 in chapter 7 asked him, Are these charges true? And Stephen's going to reply, but Stephen doesn't say they're true or false. It gives Stephen an opportunity to share scripture. This is the amazing part here now with Stephen is that I don't think Stephen walks into the Sanhedrin with his Bible or his notes, per se. What Stephen has is in his heart, in his mind, and then the Holy Spirit. And that's what Stephen walks into this hearing with is a sound mind, a mind that is in love with the Word of God and with Scripture, a heart that has hidden Scripture in it, that it may not sin against God, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to speak through him. Now, catch this, because it says in verse 2, To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. I want you to catch the gentleness, the lovingness, and the caring. He didn't start calling them names. He didn't start threatening them. He was very respectful. He uses the word brothers. They are. They are. And he says, fathers, recognizing the older gentleman 
that are in the place fathers. And then he asked them, listen to me. Listen to me. See, he has something he wants to say to them. And sometimes when you're going to say something important to people, you have to ask them to give you their attention. Or their attention is all over the place. And I think Stephen here in saying, listen to me, is saying to them, at this moment, would you put the accusations and everything else behind you? Would you even put me as a Christian in a sense behind you and you as a Jewish scribe or Sadducee? Would you put that somewhat behind you? Would you put these things that would stop you from really hearing what I'm going to say to you? Would you put them behind you that they don't block or interfere with what I'm going to say? That you can have a clear conscience in what is going to be said to you to really give thought to that and think it through. And he says, would you listen to me? And then it's amazing what he does here because he starts off talking about Abraham. And Stephen here is going to show his knowledge of Old Testament because he goes from Abraham to Jacob, to Joseph, to Pharaoh, to the time in Egypt, to Moses and the Exodus, Moses at the burning bush. I mean, he takes them all through these stories or the history of Israel to show them, in a sense, their rejection, not, not catch this, of God's method of ministering to the people. God's method of ministering to the people and how God has done things and that man rejects what God is doing. Even today, people reject what God is doing. People reject this whole thing about God even or Jesus Christ. People reject the notion of church. People have all this rejection when it comes to religion. But yet we don't reject of what's happening in our world and all the hideous things that are taking place in our world today. And yet we reject that which will be helpful and a healing for us. And he says to them, listen to me. And he starts off, and he starts off with Abraham again, all the way down to Jacob, who is the father of the 12 tribes, all to Joseph, who sold into captivity, to Moses and on forth. He gives them this whole layout. And then he even shows them in the Old Testament how God is going to used Moses, but yet Moses was rejected by two Hebrew brothers who were fighting. So when we get over in verse 35, 
want you to listen to what he says there in chapter 7. Come on over to verse 35 with me. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, the place where you... I'm in 33, I'm in 35. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? Who made you ruler and judge? Now just think a moment. It was God who has now made Moses what? Ruler and judge over Israel. Come back up with me. Let's start in verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him. That God was doing what? Using him to rescue them. But they did not. They did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? Now listen to him. But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you? Who made you? ruler and judge over us. Come back down with me if you would please to 35. This is the same Moses who they had rejected. Who rejected? Israel. Moses was was there to rescue but the people couldn't see it. And they rejected This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? And those words come up. They come up in an attitude. What gives you the right to judge me? What gives you the right to tell me I'm wrong and you're right? Who made you ruler here or given you authority? Nothing special in and of ourselves, but this does give us the authority to speak when we hear ignorance concerning the scripture and concerning life. And what people need to understand, scripture speaks life to us. Man speaks death to us, destruction to us. And it is God's desire that we live life in such a way that is beyond the understanding of man. That life of peace, that life of joy that only God can give. Success is not in how much money I make, how big 
house I have, the type of car I drive, how I really dress. Success is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how successful you will be in anything you do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Allow Jesus Christ to be preeminent in your life. Allow Christ to be first in your life. And all these other things, God will place you. He'll open the doors. He'll position you where he was, and he'll even speak through you, as he did here with Stephen. Now, I want you to see something here, because... It's so important to catch this. Because when they get to a certain place, after Stephen is done sharing all of this with them, in a sense, Stephen says to them, after giving them their history and standing against them, and again, I want to remind you, here is the Christian against world religion. Here's the Christian standing against those who were opposed to Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the first one to do this. And he stands. But what he says to them, after giving them a history and showing them God's method and how God has dealt with Israel and with people down through the age, through the prophets, even to the point of telling them that they, like their fathers, have killed the prophet, even those uh, that were slain because they were talking about the coming Messiah. He says something to them that really then causes them to lose control. You, when you speak truth, you can never dictate how other people are going to respond. You're the one that has to speak the truth and let God protect you. You don't shy away from speaking the truth because of fear or because you're outnumbered or because Boy, uh, you know it's just the wrong place to speak this. It may be where the Holy Spirit has placed you among all these Muslims or Hindus or unbelievers that this is the time to share it, but you share it humbly. And you share it with dependence of the Holy Spirit speaking through you. So in this 51, after he's done with his discourse of the history of their fathers and what they have done, even to a point of they themselves now killing the righteous one. I want you to look at 51 here with me and just come down with me. But I want you to catch then the response of the people. He says in 51, you stiff-necked people. Oh, boy. Now, is he going to that which is personal? No. God in the Old Testament called his people what? Stiff-necked. And he says now with uncircumcised hearts, understanding that circumcision was a sign of a covenant. Now, because they were Jews, most likely they were circumcised. 
but they were not circumcised in the heart. They had not made a covenant with God in here. And Stephen had made a covenant with God in here, with Jesus Christ, not the outer flesh, but in the heart, and have set himself apart in here, in the heart, in the mind, in the lifestyle. And he says, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're not hearing. You are just like your fathers. You always resist. Now, he didn't say that they would resist him. He didn't say that they were resisting the apostles. He said that you are resisting the Holy Spirit. You're resisting the Holy Spirit of doing what? Convicting you of your sin. Of convicting you of your unbelief. Convicting you of the type of life you're living and the things you have done. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You're not resisting Stephen. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. And some of you out there today, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. You're literally running away from the things of God rather than running to the things of God. Your life is decaying. Your life is being destroyed. Because you will not turn and hear the Spirit of God speak to you and be obedient to this word. Not to a pastor, not to an elder, not to a Sunday school teacher, not, not to this person or that person. Not asking you to be obedient to Pastor Brown. Asking you to be obedient to this. Pick it up and read it for yourself. And then ask yourself this question, am I doing this? And allow the Holy Spirit to become that teacher for you. And he'll guide you into all truth, Scripture says. And he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Boy, that's some charge to make. They were killed. They had, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. That's some indictment to make upon the present group. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. This man, Jesus Christ, who they just crucified not too long ago. That's who he's talking about. And he's blaming us for that crucifixion, for his death. And then he says, boy, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. Boy, that would take some courage to stand in front of people and say, you have not been obedient. 
And that's hard even in the church today. Because when you try to tell some Christians you have not been obedient to Scripture, that can be the worst thing sometimes you can say because, boy, what's going to come back at you? Boy. But sometimes it needs to be said. You're not obeying Scripture. And you say it not with an arrogant voice, not with a demeaning voice, not with a purpose to tear somebody down, but it's the truth. You're not obeying Scripture. You have it. You've heard it. You've read it. But you're not obeying it. And you're back up to what he says. You're not resisting pastor. You're not resisting an elder. You're not resisting a Sunday school teacher. You're not resisting a group of brothers who have come to talk to you. You are resisting the Holy Spirit. You are fighting against the Holy Spirit. Stop. Stop. And hear him. And allow him to rescue your life. You'll do it. Now let's close out in this last few verses here. Because we're going to see Stephen carry out this area of being like Christ. Or allowing Jesus to continue his work through him. Because this is what has taken place here. Jesus came into this world to share his message, the gospel. The words of his father to each and every one of us. And it continues through every one of us who truly are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit we continue to allow Jesus Christ's work to go forth through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it says, when they heard this, they were furious. Remember what I said earlier? You cannot control the reactions of people of how they might respond to truth. They heard truth from Stephen, but they're furious. And they're going to stone him. They're going to persecute him. They're going to silence him. And it says in 51, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. God has a way of changing your focus or where you're seen or the situation that you're in does not remove you bodily, but can remove you mentally. And you are focusing not upon those who are against you, but on something altogether different. And he does that here with Stephen. He changes Stephen's focus from the Sanhedrin to those who he 
asked to listen to him. And now, because of what man is going to do, God somehow changes Stephen's focus that he sees him rather than the people. Well, that's something. And then what we see in Stephen is this. He's acting more like Jesus than Stephen, if I might say that. Let me explain it as we go through it here. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus is standing. He's not sitting. Very important point. Have you ever been in the hospital and you're sitting, but when you get ready to really minister to, to the person that's in the bed or that the person's in the bed is hurting, and you need to assist them. You don't stay sitting in the chair. You usually do what? Stand up. And the chair might be right there by the bed. But you rise up. And you minister to that person. Jesus is standing. And he's ministering to Stephen. He's not sitting. He's working. When he's sitting, the work is done. The work is finished. But Jesus is standing and he's ministering to Stephen. Just as though Stephen was in that hospital bed and he was there visiting him, sitting, and then he sees something takes place and he stands to minister to Stephen. And Stephen is seeing this, that Jesus is standing. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. There's a reason he tells us that Jesus is standing there at the right hand and not sitting. But he's standing at the right hand of God because Jesus is still working. He's still ministering. And when we are in that situation as a Stephen, or we're hurting, or we're doing, Jesus isn't sitting. He is standing, ministering to us. And he goes on and he says, at this, <clears throat> at this point, Stephen says to them, and I want to remind you, on the road of Damascus with, with Paul in Acts 9, the others didn't hear what Paul heard. They didn't see what Paul saw. These men didn't see what Stephen was seeing. And he says, look. They may have looked, but they could not see what Stephen was seeing. Look, he said. I see heaven open. I think there would have been a great response there if others would have seen it too. They didn't see it, so there's no response. And he says, I see heaven open 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is what I'm seeing. Why? He's taking Stephen's attention from what is getting ready to happen to be stoned and focusing upon who? Jesus. And then it goes on. He says, At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voice, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witness laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. While Jesus was on the cross, he prayed. He talked with the Father. When you're going through difficulties that are out of your control, do you pray? Do you really pray? And it says, Stephen prayed. But look at this now. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't pray that they stopped the stoning. He didn't pray that he wouldn't be hurt or harmed. He prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? He commended his spirit into the hands of who? God. See the similarity? Stephen, in the image of Jesus, is doing what Jesus did. You have to ask the question, could I do that? Could I do that? And yet he's teaching me that if I wind up in a Stevens position, I believe in some way, somehow, he will refocus my mind, not on what is going on, but on him. That I could bear up under whatever it is here that I would be going through, or you would be going through. And we would pray our way through it. And we would commend our spirit into his hands, into his keeping, and that his will would be done, not ours but his. And then he goes on and he said, in that he said, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What did Jesus say? In Luke 23, he said also, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen's asking for these individuals to be forgiven. Why? If they're not forgiven, how would they be reached? If God was to curse them and to damn them, how would they be reached? And Stephen is praying that they would be forgiven for the wrong action that they take towards him. Now, understand this. And this is why I said, hang on to where it said the young man named Saul. One writer brings up that Saul was his 
Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Whichever it is, this young man is standing there and witnessing this. And I believe this stayed with Paul all his life. That he remembered this Stephen who died for the name of Jesus. And I believe that gave Paul also courage to die for his faith, for this name, Jesus. He witnessed another individual who loved the Lord, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, who would not recant, who would not back up, but who would stand on the word of God and die for the name of Jesus. Every time you go through a crisis, somebody's watching. And I pray that when we go through it, that Jesus Christ is seen, our faith is seen, the work of the Holy Spirit is seen in us. And that it grabs hold of somebody's heart and mind and will not let them go. It is something that's branded into their mind of this truth that we hold to concerning Jesus Christ. Stephen's life, as short as it may have been, had an impact on Saul or Paul's life. Your life, if you are a true believer and you are full of faith and you are allowing the Holy Spirit to use you, in somebody's life, you are having an impact and you may not know that until you meet them in heaven. I'm not sure if Stephen knew what he was going through, that he was not only just speaking or witnessing to those that were there, but to this young man by the name of Saul, who would later on become known as Paul, one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, that Stephen had an impact on his life. I don't think Paul could get rid of that for what he witnessed of a man who would not recant, would not back up, would not give an inch to save his life because of the name of Jesus and this gospel. I pray that you're able to catch that. And I pray that you can see it here in Scripture. That as you go through life and you're persecuted or you're hurting, but the way you live for Jesus is impacting somebody's life. Well, I want to thank you for the time that you've given me. I pray that somehow that the Holy Spirit would take Stephen's life and somehow impact your life and allow the words of God to somehow have an effect in your life that it challenges you and it builds you and Jesus Christ is glorified for it. 
Father, would you open heaven to your people? Would you open heaven that we might see our Lord and Savior? Would you speak to our hearts? Let us not be fearful of those who can kill the body and do nothing else. But, O oh God, I pray that, Lord, you would equip us to be a spokesman on your behalf and that we would not be ashamed of this gospel, but that we would share it with those that, Lord, that you give us opportunity to share it with. And, Lord, we thank you for this great gift of salvation. And thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Minister to us, and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you, and may God keep you. And again, I would say, hey, go through this chapter 6 and chapter 7, and if you get the first four verses in 8, you'll see that the church was dispersed because of what took place this day in Stephen's life. On that day, a great persecution broke out against Christians because of Stephen. And then it spread the word out in many different directions, taking this gospel. I hope that we can see that this man, Stephen, loved the Lord. And may people see in your life that you love him, that you love him. Amen. God keep you. May God bless you. See you next week. Thank you.